Our text this morning comes from the third division of the Hebrew letter, the 13th verse. The writer says, exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. The warning in that text is a warning that's addressed to people that are familiar with the Word of God. And it's a warning that is applicable to those of us in this building assembled here this morning. Hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You know, for most of us, The very first music that we heard was our mother's. It was our mother's singing to us as infants in a crib. Or singing to us as they rocked us in a familiar rocking chair. And they sang to us. And more often than not, It was expressed to us in songs such as, Jesus loves me, this I know. I have some very special memories of listening to my mother and to my grandmother both sing that song to me. I have some very, very, very special memories. of Norma as she would sing that song to Brian and Matt when they were small boys. It was music that soothed us as infants and as small children. As children, we were all fascinated as we heard the stories of Bible heroes told to us by the greatest theologian of all time, our mother. We know the things of God. And knowing the things of God in this passage of Scripture, there is a warning for all of us. Lest any of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. There was no more solemn warning ever issued by any of the apostolic writers than that right there. And there are no words that we ought to pay any closer attention to. There are no words to which we ought to give the more earnest heed found anywhere. And there's one particular word in that passage that should startle us. And there's a word in that passage that should speak to our hearts this morning. And that word is hardened. There are folks today that are so afraid of sin. And they're so fearful of some specific sin such as drunkenness or Drugs or adultery or robbery or something of that nation. They're afraid 
lest they themselves or someone that they love might be entangled in one of those specific sins. But it is far better to be entangled in the clutches of some specific sin such as murder or adultery or drugs or drunkenness than it is to be hardened. For that man or that woman on the top side of God's green earth today that's in the clutches of some specific sin, there is still hope for them if they are not hardened. But my friends, the peril of a hardened heart is a peril of the most subtle kind. A hardened heart is a peculiar peril of those who know the terms of the gospel. It's a peculiar peril of those who know the conditions of the gospel. I doubt that you could successfully find anyone hardened in the sense of our text that's unfamiliar with the gospel. They know the conditions of the gospel. They know the Lord's terms of pardon. There are a lot of people in Center, Texas and in Shelby County that are unfamiliar with the terms of the gospel. There are people in Center, Texas and Shelby County that don't know the Christ we read about on the pages of the Bible. There are some that are so vile and vicious that we thank God we're not like they are. And yet many, though they might be vile and though they might be vicious, they're not hardened. That word hardened, it suggests a change in condition. No one, no human being starts life hard. No little child is hard. Human nature is essentially impressionable. If you take a child in its earliest years out of any set of circumstances and put that child into new surroundings, you can mold that child's heart and life. Every child is impressionable. Every child has its windows open toward the morning. Every child indulges in romance. Every child dreams dreams and sees visions of hope. Every child is capable of tears 
And every child is capable of laughter. And yet there are men and women today who actually take pleasure in their hardness. They actually take pleasure in being cold and cynical and critical and fault-finding. They actually take pleasure in being obstinate, disagreeable, cantankerous, and hard to get along with. Beloved, every man or woman today who is hard and who takes pleasure in their hardness was not always that way. If I could this morning, by some mysterious or miraculous process, take and place my hand upon your shoulder and take you back in time today, I'd do that. I'd take you back to a time of tenderness. To a time when you were soft and pliable and moldable. Right now some of you are saying, well, I thank God that day's gone. Let me tell you something. Are you hearing me? If you knew, if you knew what it really meant that that day is gone from your life, you would weep uncontrollably right now because you have lost the power to weep. The writer said, lest any of you be hardened. It suggests a process. And it suggests a change. What is the process? What are the symptoms of the process? At some point, we fight against tenderness because we think it's childish. Do you remember? Do you remember a time when all of us would shed tears over a dead canary? And this morning we can't even shed tears over lost souls. We can't shed tears over people without God, without Christ, and having no hope in this world. Because for us, the fountain of tears has dried up and gone away. There was a time when you might have blushed awkwardly when you told a lie. And now there's no blush, there's no inward shame. The hardening process has been allowed to go forward until a condition of hardness has been reached. That is the inevitable result 
of stifling tears and refusing to listen to conscience. No tears, no conscience, no faith, a heart that's been hardened. We're equal to dealing with the business problems of life. But we're not equal to dealing with the commerce of eternity. We're equal to the task of touching and handling the forces that are merely the affairs of this world. But we're not equal to laying hold on eternal life. We're equal, oh, we're quite equal to a world of dust and the things of dust. But we're not equal to God and to fellowship with God. Let's bring this down a little closer to home. Let's bring it down to where we live. There comes the day When a man or a woman who has a child welled up with tears hearing the story of Jesus hears it today and stifles a yawn and has no shred of emotion. The day comes when an individual will still listen to the terms of God's law but does not tremble. The most difficult men and women to reach with the story of the cross. The most difficult men and women to reach with the story of the love of Jesus are those who know it best. And are unmoved by it. The gospel The sweet old story of Jesus and His love no longer moves them to great aspirations or to great effort. How does it happen? What brings it about in our lives? Hearts become hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. And I didn't say that. The Hebrew writer said it. And it would be unfair to interpret that in any other way than is meant by the text. Throughout the Hebrew letter, sin is unbelief. The whole argument of the epistle to the Hebrews is intended to strengthen faith. And the writer makes an appeal against unbelief. And the sin that hardens is the sin of unbelief. Let's make sure we understand the terms. Let's make sure we understand what is meant by belief or unbelief. By belief, we do not mean merely an intellectual assent 
to the facts of the gospel. It's possible for a man or a woman to believe intellectually all the truths of the gospel. Believe everything that's in there. And still be lost for eternity. The fact that I am convinced intellectually of the truth of the deity of Jesus Christ. And the fact that I'm convinced intellectually of the atoning nature of the death of Jesus will not save my soul. No one on the top side of God's green earth is saved by intellectual comprehension and conviction. Saving faith is belief that leads me to obey the truth of which I am convinced. To know the truth of God's Word and then refuse to obey it. To hear the message from the Word of God, to assent to its accuracy, to bow in the presence of its great demands intellectually, and yet not answer the claim of Jesus Christ on my life, that is the sin that hardens an individual's soul. Write this down. It's on the final exam. When an individual disobeys in this way, they become hardened by the very truth that might have softened them. I guess the perpetual mystery of all the ages is how do people commit this sin of unbelief? That's something that every preacher who's ever lived is confronted with. Why it is that individuals hear the truth of God's Word and do not obey the Lord's commands. Why people don't live God's kind of life. Or why people live God's kind of life only partially. Or people live God's kind of life only when it's convenient. And every preacher I've ever known worth his salt has laid awake and stared at the ceiling all night wondering that question. And has sat at his desk and shed tears. And has looked at a church directory and thumbed through it and shed tears over individuals. And wondered, what causes it?
Make no mistake about it. Sin has the effect upon us that it hardens our hearts. It blunts our powers of perception. And it deadens our conscience to the point that it becomes possible for you and for me to be completely unresponsive to the story of Jesus. It dulls us, sin dulls us to the point that we can hear the gospel. We can hear how the Lord wants us to live and we can refuse it and we can reject it. Until the day comes, our conscience has been seared as with a hot iron. I'm quite certain that's what Paul had in mind in 1 Timothy 4 and verse 2. Because Paul writes there of certain individuals that have had their conscience seared over as with a hot iron. It's like an animal that's been branded. When branding time comes and that animal is branded with that hot branding iron, where that iron has been applied, Underneath, the feeling of those nerves under the skin has been destroyed. So what's Paul talking about? He's talking about folks whose conscience has been seared over. He's talking about folks in whom all sensitiveness... All sensitivity and feeling of the nervous system has been destroyed. They may hear the gospel preached over and over and over. They may hear the story of the cross over and over, and it's ineffective. It doesn't move them because the heart has been hardened. The neck has been stiffened. And that individual has become stubborn and obstinate and rebellious. And because of that hardness of heart, the power of God to save is ineffective to that individual. The gospel, as Paul preached it to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 16, Paul says, the gospel is either a savior of life unto life or of death unto death. If you and I are determined to live our own way and we're determined to be governed and guided by the dictates and the passions of the flesh, and we're determined to be guided by the dictates of what we want and not what God wants, then the gospel of the Son of God will be a means of condemnation and death to us. And the question before the house this morning is, 
What is our response to Jesus? In verse 15 of that same third chapter of Hebrews, the writer says today, if you will hear His voice, harden not your hearts. Would you respond to God's call? And would you obey Him and live His kind of life this morning? If you've never made that initial response to His love, to repent of sin and confess His name and be buried in the waters of baptism, would you let your faith this morning be more than a mental assent to the facts of the Gospel? And if at some point in the past you've done that, but through the deceitfulness of sin and the hardness of heart, you sing, our God is alive and live as though God is dead. You're a professing Christian, but a practicing atheist. Somehow, could the story of Jesus Christ and His love, could the Son of God hanging on a cross, bleeding out, could it soften your heart this morning? It's His invitation as we stand and while we sing.